We're here tonight at uh, Southeastern. We're celebrating our Global Missions Week this week. And so we've got missionaries and uh, church planning leaders from really around the globe. Uh, tonight, uh, we're doing, having a conversation about uh, North American church planning and the SEND North America uh, strategy and focus. We've got uh, leaders from three different SEND cities. And so I'll let them uh, go around briefly, uh, quickly introduce themselves and just uh, kind of share um, uh, briefly who you are and one thing about your city or your context that's, uh, that you really like. My name is Clint Clifton. I live in the greatest city in the world, Washington, D.C. Why is it the greatest city in the world? Uh, because Barack Obama lives there. <laughs> that's one reason. That's one reason. It is one reason. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, um, the thing you said, the thing I like about my city, yeah. is that what we said? One, uh, thing like. one thing I like about my city is that it's the most international place I've ever been. Okay. So, people from all over the world, everywhere you go. Okay, my name is Chad Vandiver, and I serve as the NAM Sin City Missionary to Montreal. And um, the thing I love about Montreal is it's home to the Canandia, which is the most winningest team in the history of sports. They won 24 Stanley Cups. Wow. So, yep. Wow, and I thought it was the Yankees were the winningest program. Uh, my name is Steve Allen. I serve as the lead church planning catalyst with the North American Mission Board uh, in an area that encompasses about a 75-mile radius of Times Square. So that's New York City, northern New Jersey, a little bit of Connecticut. But... Um, uh, the Sand City's New York City, and uh, yeah, I just love the energy and the potentiveness of New York City, the potential. And I'm Woody Wilson. I'm in Montreal myself. I'm Jin uh, Sind city coach and uh, mobilizer, along with some other things that uh, I'll be doing. Uh, my wife and I have just moved to Montreal. We love the city. It, it moves. It's young, it's vibrant, uh, but it's got a lot of spiritual need, and so it's, uh, it's going to be a big challenge, but uh, we're excited to be there. Cool. So uh, for a little bit tonight, uh, briefly, we want to talk about uh, the topic, church planting in sort of a post-religious or post-Christian culture, kind of something along those lines. I just saw an article today that said, um, uh, basically, America is continually dissatisfied with religion. And was basic conclusion over the last 10 years has dropped a, another 10 percent the satisfaction level with religion uh, but um, and asked the question in, in several different categories what makes it hard or how do church planners address some aspect of the following so first of all if we uh, just kind of go through and talk about worldview issues how people think and live why is why is that hard for church planners or how do church planners address that in your uh, experience and context? Well, how do they address it in DC? You know, the only way to address it is really, really patiently. So, and in, and in individual one-on-one -on -one contexts. So the, the church planners that are successful in changing the minds of people who hold a different worldview than they do, the ones who are successful do it in a one-on-one -on -one context and are willing to do those long, tedious conversations. Um, those are basically the only ways people change their mind. In, in D.C., everybody's advocating for a cause, and so you've constantly got, you know, everybody on a platform sort of overstating something to draw everybody over to that side. So it, as a result, people are kind of inoculated to the drama, and so it, it doesn't happen through a, a 
through it happens best through one-on-one engagement so the, I would say the ones who do well at it at actually changing the minds of people to think more uh, in line with the biblical worldview are people who labor through those conversations really patiently so yeah, and I would agree with that in Montreal. Montreal is the most postmodern uh, city in North America. Uh, it's post-Catholic. Uh, the reason it's post-Catholic is because in the 1960s, they had the Quiet Revolution. And uh, the Quebecois, which is the people group, uh, there left uh, churches in, in mass. I mean, large, large numbers. And a whole generation uh, was sheltered from the gospel. And so church planters that are successful there know how to contextualize the gospel in such a way that they Quebecois uh, will understand and respond to, and uh, and so we're what I'm what I'm noticing as I as I meet with these church planners is man they love their people and they they hurt for their people who don't know Christ and so they're uh, showing them in, in many different ways um, what church should be like because the the definition historically of, of church in Quebec has been very negative and so our planters are through gospel conversations inviting them to discover what church could be. It's kind of funny in New York City. Uh, we have a, a blogger. Uh, his name is Tony Carnes. He's a social scientist, and he blogs about New York as uh, the post-secular city. Uh, he talks about New York City religiosity, and basically his premise is that New York is a very religious place, and that um, you know we've all heard people. We're, we're all human hearts predisposed to be religious, uh, to worship something. And that's certainly true in New York City. Uh, people are predisposed to worship something. And so I think one of the things that some of, uh, some of our more successful church planters, however you want to gauge that, but in terms of fruitfulness maybe, um, have a way of, a phrase that comes to mind that we use is cultural agility. They have uh, a way of just being able to figure out how can I identify with what this person values uh, and, and use that as a bridge for the gospel. And so, you know, cultural agility, I think, is, 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 is a pretty significant way of uh, being able to contextualize uh, without, without losing the message in the process. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty important capacity for church planters in New York. I've heard some of our uh, Quebecois church planters uh, use the phrase reinvent the church. And the first time I heard it, was at the vision tour back uh, over a year ago when I first came, and uh, it kind of struck me the wrong way, perhaps, because I thought well, you can't reinvent something that that Jesus uh, has put his stamp on. But that's not what they were meaning. They were talking about redefining, uh, reinvesting in the church. I think, and and I love that because uh, the people of uh, of Montreal and uh, Quebec, they they've got to see what it is. They they've not had a they've not had a clear picture. Uh, for a long, long time of, of church, uh, the body of, of Christ. And so uh, they are reinterpreting uh, church and uh, in that context. Uh, of course, uh, there's not only the, the Quebecois that live there. The, the world has come uh, to, uh, to Canada. Uh, Canada's built on immigration. Um, I'm an immigrant <laughs> now, you know, so, uh, but it, it's built on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's built on that, and Montreal is home. That's part of what I love about Montreal. The world is there, and I, I told uh, I told my wife. I said one of these days, as I'm on the the metro and the bus and back and forth, I'm just going to really concentrate and count how many different languages I hear, 
uh, and uh, and it's massive. And so I'm uh, I'm going to be steeped in in French language, except on my block where uh, it's a Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, and they don't speak French. Uh, they speak speak uh, Yiddish and, and English. And so when I engage them, I don't know Yiddish, so it's going to be in English. And uh, yeah, I don't I haven't learned that. That's I have to put that on my to do list. Uh, so but. Um, so, so now, uh, talk for talk for a minute about what's one cultural issue in your context that's uh, that's significant. That could be in terms of like an idol uh, that that you see uh, prevalent in your tr- in your in your context. Um, it could be uh, something I don't know environmentalism, w- whatever cultural issue um, that you think is either um, uh, already prevalent or you see coming. Uh, down the road, and how are church planners kind of beginning to address that issue, or how are they addressing that issue, or thinking through addressing that issue? Yeah, and are we going in order? Yeah. In D.C., it's homosexuality, for sure. Uh, Homosexuality is the new civil rights movement, so it's seen as an issue of, of civil rights by virtually everyone in the city. So teaching pastors, planter, and Take that and also you know, acknowledging that virtually every mainline church in the city that has a facility, with exception of maybe just a, just a handful, that's seen as a legitimate church has an open and affirming stance. So not just quietly either, they publicize the open and affirming stance. So, so teaching church planters how to hold the line on... You know, uh, biblical worldview related to homosexuality, but still be winsome and and uh, present a, a good case for the gospel when the first question every irreligious person wants to know or every secular person wants to know is, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? And uh, so it's a huge challenge. And so that's definitely the issue of the day. I mean, it comes up in every conversation. Yeah, I would say in uh, the city of Montreal, the province of Quebec, uh, definitely homosexuality is an issue. Um, it's been said that uh, because Montreal is so postmodern, uh, you can study where the U.S. is going. And um, so, I mean, it's against the law in Quebec to speak out against homosexuality. So you can imagine the sanctity of marriage is, is, is being attacked there uh, so much so that it's against the law for a wife to take her husband's last name because there were so many divorces, the government got tired of doing the paperwork. Uh, and so, so that's, it's, it's a major, major issue for us. You know what I love about this, kind of the line of questioning, and, and, and I know these are Canadian cities and north, north, uh, northeastern cities, um, but so I'm going to comment kind of on the periphery and kind of say amen to what they're saying. But, you know, you, you see some of you see a common thread. I mean, pick a thread and pull it and it's going to run through all of our cities. And I mean, that's what's so important and so amazing about um, understanding what God is doing in cities uh, these days and caring about what God, uh, you know, what's happening in cities and, and, and that there's an ideological battleground there. Um, for for the souls of men and women and uh and it's one we've got to win uh and it's it's and it's and it's time that we drew the line in the sand and and as you know i think as in many cases uh we we're beginning to do as the church and as southern baptists um so um 
I, uh, yeah, I, I would just say amen. You know, I, I, the thing that kind of occurs to me, my city is a very Jewish city. Um, oddly enough, uh, most of those who are Jewish, and my, my city is a very Catholic city also. Uh, it's very culturally Jewish, and it's very culturally Catholic. Many people who are culturally Jewish are agnostic or atheistic almost. Um, or not almost, but, uh, and, 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 and likewise Catholic. And so, um, you know, while some would say it's a post-secular city, some would say it's a post-Christian city, that really is one of the battle, one of the battle lines is, uh, you know, so many people in uh, New York uh, really recognize and affirm what a dangerous thing faith is, religion is. And so, uh, you know, our church planters are, some, are, are confronted with challenges such as being shut out of schools, public schools, and you've read about that. Um, that the Supreme Court uh, even just recently refused to revisit a case that prohibited, uh, that, that allowed school boards to prohibit uh, the use of, school, uh, of their facilities by uh, churches, church plants, uh, which in a city, in a place where space, uh, public gathering space is at such a premium and is so scarce to begin with, you know, to, to, to take churches or to, to take school facilities out of that equation uh, just really kind of compounds the challenge of finding uh, meeting space. But that, that really represents kind of one of those battlegrounds in a lot of ways. Uh, it's, the, it's the dangerousness of faith altogether versus some idea of tolerance, I guess. You know, that's, that's a difficult question because there's so many things. And uh, um, the sexuality, not just the homosexuality, but the sexuality in Montreal, and one of the things that I'll be working with is uh, human trafficking. Um, but uh, I may have opportunity later to say something about that. If not, that's okay. But I, uh, you, you mentioned the Catholic Church, and uh, I, can, I can walk out my front door, and it takes me about 20 seconds to get to the bus stop at the end of my street. Two stops, I'm at a metro stop. In that, in that distance from uh, in that bus ride uh, that takes about seven minutes from my house to the metro stop, I can look off to the um, to the to the north, and uh, the it slopes the terrain slopes a little bit, so you get a good view of what's out there. And there are seven Catholic cathedrals. I mean, with the the tall uh, towers and, and spires. Uh, um, just looming. Um, Chad has said before, I am quoting him, who quoted Mark Twain, who said you could throw a, uh, a rock in Montreal and you're going to hit stained glass. And uh, it's just, you just see the, the, the Catholic, the, the facade of the Catholic Church all over the place. They, the Quebecois have rejected uh, that. But, um, and one of, the, one of the evidences of the, of the remains of that, uh, St. Joseph's Oratory, which is the third largest basilica in the world, uh, houses the heart of, um, of Brother Andrew, famous priest uh, that's uh, been canonized by the Catholic Church now. But uh, they, when he died, he did such good in the city, and he really did do a lot of good. But uh, they, uh, they, they preserved his heart and have it in a vault, uh, glassed in. And uh, you can go to St. Joseph's Oratory and pray to God through his heart. So um, if that's not idolatry, <laughs> nothing is. <laughs> so, you know, but that's the, that's the vestige of, of the Catholic Church, even though most have rejected it. It's still a prominent piece of, of, the, of the spiritual puzzle there. Um, kind of considering uh, what you've shared, man, maybe this is pressing into this issue, how, to, how, to, how are church planners maybe an example of how they're dealing with some of those issues, but how do church planners and church planning teams need to posture themselves as as they uh, as they um, 
are sent out to plant. So any thoughts on, on that? How do they need to posture themselves? How do they need to think and live? Well, since I, since I spoke about the Catholic Church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce it and pass it off to, uh, to Chad because we do have a church planner uh, in Quebec City that uh, has bridged the, the gap between uh, that Catholic culture and church planning. And I, and I don't know that uh, situation as well as Chad does, so maybe, uh, so maybe that uh, would yeah, be a good time. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, yeah, so Quebec City is the capital of Quebec. It's, it's our, uh, you know, poli- uh, political area. And um, we have a planter there that's phenomenal. He's planted a church called Mosaic uh, 10 years ago, uh, multiplied twice. Uh, it's going to multiply at least eight more times. But uh, he has gotten to know the, the bishop uh, there, the Catholic bishop, and such a good relationship with them that, that they have daily conversations about the issues of the Catholic Church. And if you study the Catholic Church in Quebec, uh, you know that right now there are museums, there are shopping malls, there are anything but places of worship. And so uh, in some places they're being sold. And, and so um, the, the, the issue with, it, with them being sold is that when they're or being uh, closed is that when the Catholic Church closes a, one of their buildings, they did a research and studied that the, their members don't go to a different church. They just stop going to church altogether. And so our, our planter there in Quebec City uh, learned that. And uh, so the, the bishop is uh, practically giving him the building. I mean, he's selling it to for, for very, very little amount because he said at least the members will go to, to church. And at least, even though it's an evangelical church, at least they'll go to church. And I trust my uh, members with you. And so that's, that's an, an, an example of how a church planner has kind of bridged that issue with the Catholic Church and has, has become friends and has earned the trust there in that, that setting in Quebec City. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I know exactly what you mean by positioning themselves, but the thing that comes to mind when you say that is, uh, is I think that, at least in, in D.C. and probably in all these major cities, that bivocational church planting is going to become more necessary and prevalent, not because of the money issue, but because uh, it, it gives you a legitimate reason for existing uh, as a missionary. It gives you validity. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we recently had a, a church planter in, in D.C. who quit after one year. He went back home. Now, this is a guy who had successfully planted two churches in the past and uh, grown them to hundreds of people, secured buildings for them. So he's planting his third church in D.C. And he quits after one year, and he wrote his resignation email. Um, and it was kind of hit us out of the blue. We weren't expecting it at all. And he wrote his resignation email. And he said, there's a whole paragraph on this in the email. He said, basically... What, I'm not giving up on D.C., but I'm going to go get a real job. I'm going to do something other than theological education. I'm going to learn how to do something, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to try to serve people in a way that doesn't tip them off right off the bat that I'm, I'm weird or strange. So he's trying to figure out a way. And, I, I, I mean, I know that as a, I was a f- sort of full-time church planter as well in the area, and I know those kind of awkward conversations over and over trying to figure out how to – 
be in the lives of people who don't want you in their lives, but not be uh, strange about it. You know, I was, I mean, I was coaching soccer when I didn't have any kids playing soccer and I, I don't know how to play soccer myself. That's just weird. And, uh, it's weird. And, and so the parents on the soccer team are saying, why are you doing this? You're obviously not good at soccer, you know? And, and so, and so I'm just, oh, I just, you know, want to help out the community. And they're like, they know, they know they, the dots don't connect for them, you know? It's, and, and, uh, and so just to have a legitimate reason to exist uh, by having a job when when you know I remember substituting in the school and I'm the only male substitute in the whole school system and they're saying why don't you have a job and how do you live here with no job and how do you have such free time that you could just come and substitute anytime you want you know yeah I mean so so I think that's going to uh, posturing themselves uh, a lot of it's going to have to do with figuring out platform issues you know like we think Steve, yeah. props to you. You're really secure in yourself there. Uh, hey uh, you, you I, went to, I went to Mother Goose Story Hour too. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I studied a little. I did a little bit of my demon studies. Actually, I did most of my demon studies uh, under a liberal American Baptist um, uh, urban pioneer, Ray Bakke, and he's the first one that I heard. Uh, I studied with him in four different global cities on four different continents, and and really learned a lot from the guy. Um, uh, outside of theology, <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, you know Southern Baptists don't have a long history of urban ministry, and, uh, and 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 Ray and some guys like Ray do and have and have written about it and uh, and have stimulated a lot of conversation about it. And I like what uh, very simply put um, Ray had to say about ministering in the city, and I, I can kind of see this pattern in Southern Baptist life. There's an initiative that brought me to the New York City Metro as an outsider. Uh, uh, I, w I was a part of an initiative for the city um, and an initiative in the city, but never of the city. And, uh, you know, those, those three prepositions really kind of recur to me sometimes. And, and, and I, think, uh, I think it's instructive for our church planters, too, to think in terms of, um, you know, being successful and effective in this environment. Uh, you know, it, it won't happen because I'm for the city. Uh, it won't happen because I'm in the city, uh, because chances are that that's temporary. Uh, you know, it may only be a generation or a lifetime or even uh, two years or whatever. But um, but, you know, how do I how do I crack the code for becoming of this city? You know, when do these people become my people and their home becomes my home? And, uh, and and however you make a beeline for that and get there, uh, that really seems to be um, that really seems to be what I see uh, demonstrated in the lives of church planters who begin to care so much about their context because it becomes their home and those become they become uh, and the people they're ministering to become their people. So we kind of uh, already started touching on on this uh, in a sense, but uh, Steve and I were talking earlier today about um, church planting roles. So uh, briefly, pick one role that, and, that you think adds value to a church plant um, and, um, or the gospel movement in your, in your context. And just kind of briefly, you know, give an example of someone who's filling that role. Uh, you know, part of what we're trying to do is just get people to think in, in broader categories for how they can be involved in church planning and gospel movement cities. So. Can I do two? Because sure. I'll do them fast. Go for it. Okay, so the first one, uh, female disciplers, women disciplers, to 
join a church planting team only for the purpose of spending doing one-on-one discipleship with other women in the city an urban environment there's a ton of single people a ton of single women it is in at least in our context not appropriate for a dude to go sit in a coffee shop with a woman in an open bible who's not his wife when his wife's back at the apartment on the 16th floor with their three kids in 400 square feet so it's not cool so what that mean and what that ends up being is you know dudes sometimes discipling other dudes but a lot of women not getting discipled and and usually church planters wives have ch- or ch- church planters have children so their wives are very occupied with that and even if they were given to discipleship can't spend a ton of time doing that with young so there's young single women all over these cities that could be discipled and could be very important to the movement of the gospel in the cities um, but they are just not because there's nowhere there to disciple them so um, there's a girl named brandy golden who moved from southeastern um, about four years ago to help a church planting team from southeastern um, plant uh, in northwest dc and she has been incredible. I mean, she's discipled just a, a load of young women and just her primary job there being making disciples. So that's one for sure. Another one is, I think, like pastoral partners, just so there's not just one lead guy, but there's two, at least two guys for multiplication um, so that we always have a bullet in our gun when, when if, you know, if we want to plant early. I'm not sure that's the best analogy. Yeah, that's a great analogy. <laughs> if we want to plant early... Um, having another it's guy that we don't have Wizards, to not bullets <laughs> that, that not doesn't Canadian. have to be developed from the ground up. So at the church that I, I'm a part of, we only send uh, church planters out with pastoral partners, and so I think those two roles are maybe you know very important roles in my mind. Cool, excellent. Let me just say, don't bring guns to Canada. Yeah. I'm just gonna <laughs> No, no. <laughs> no. Um, for us, I would say, as student missionaries, uh, we desperately need student missionaries because uh, what God is doing in Quebec is really happening through millennials. Uh, millennials are coming to church in huge numbers. Uh, the church that I attend is 90% millennials, and it's about a thousand uh, people after two years. And so uh, it's really evident that, that God is transforming a generation in Quebec. And so, so we need that. We need more and more churches planted. And, and really, I, I see that role is, is very crucial for us. Awesome. Yeah, number two, guys. Um, I, I, I just, I, I love it, and I'm not going to name names, but there was a guy uh, that I met last year from here at Southeastern, visited us recently. Uh, it was his second trip. Uh, uh, Mike probably knows who I'm talking about, but uh, just, just love meeting uh, guys who maybe don't have it all figured out, uh, but who say, you know, God's called me to live missionally, give me a great heart for the city. Um, I have some life skills. Uh, that I can bring to bear. Maybe it's keeping the books and doing some of the executive pastoral type stuff. Um, one guy comes to mind who, who, whom I will name, grew up uh, in a, a first generation Haitian church. Um, Haitian churches are massive in New York City, but they're monocultural. And, uh, and if they don't diversify and pass the baton to the next generation, they will be a single generation and gone. Um, uh, so there's tremendous potential for the kingdom there in these churches. Uh, and Woodley Victor is the, uh, is the son. He recently graduated from Southern Seminary, uh, the son of a, a very, uh, of, a, of a pretty influential pastor of a strong Haitian church in Canarsie, Brooklyn. Um, and 
uh, you know, being from that family and from this church, I could see this guy and, and you know, coming away with uh, a master of divinity from Southern Seminary, uh, feeling every entitlement or uh, reason to believe that uh, he's a lead guy. Uh, but uh, he, I introduced him to a guy that, you know, just, just really sensing in his heart that he needed more development and everything as we're talking, uh, but still feeling a, a great heart for New York City, connected him with a uh, Caucasian brother who was a, uh, uh, not at least ethnically a very good fit for the community he felt he, he felt very very called to in Crown Heights uh, Brooklyn uh, and uh, these two these two paired up and, and, and Woodley helped diversify the team it wasn't a token thing at all Woodley brought things that Stephen the lead pastor uh, of Mosaic could not um, uh, bring into the leadership of this church in this community and it's been a great marriage I mean a year in not even a year in um, you know, they're doing really well and baptizing this community and it's a, it's, uh, I mean, the church is very much a mosaic representing the community um, that they're, that they're ministering to. Uh, but, 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 you know, Woodley, props to Woodley, uh, just, you know, living, uh, working a day job and, and doing whatever it takes, uh, utilizing his gifts as a number two guy alongside a church planter. For me, it's going to be coaching. That's it's one of the hats that I'll, I'll wear there. But Nam is is saying that uh, at least in the first two years, church planner, they want every church planner to have a coach, um, and uh, that's not somebody to tell them how to do it, but somebody that that journeys with them, that helps draw out uh, what the Holy Spirit is is doing in that church planner's life. And so, in in Montreal, where uh, there's a real church planning movement that's uh, beginning to take shape. Uh, where are those church leaders going to come from? Or they're going to come from uh, those excellent church planners that we have right now, uh, coaching, raising up uh, the next generation or the next, not even going to be a generation, it's going to be this year, you know, in, in the next years. And so, um, so uh, one of my mandates is to, uh, is to raise up some indigenous coaches. And so uh, to me, that's, that's, a, that's a skill that, uh, that these uh, very gifted church planners have, uh, and it's not going to be me uh, training that up in them, just uh, getting them geared up so that they certainly can transfer that to, to others. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a Second Timothy 2-2, two, two, you know, Paul, Timothy, men, and the next, you know, the generation after, and that's, that, and that's, that's a wonderful way to, uh, to do the work. Probably the other one that, that we'd probably all add is just serial church planters. Um, those who have a more catalytic uh, uh, mindset and heart because uh, we were talking earlier today. Uh, one thing that happens often with church planters in they get two, two, three years in and they often get uncomfortable because at that point the church plan is transitioning to, to more of a pastoral role. And so uh, some of them struggle with that transition from the planting dynamic to the pastoring dynamic more so. And sometimes some of them, part of what God's probably trying to tell them is they need to go plant more churches and let somebody else um, pastor. So that would be that would be the other one. Uh, so last question, and then there's a couple of questions from, uh, uh, from, from you all. We can take a couple of questions uh, for these guys. But uh, last question I have is on movement. So what would it take or what impact would it have if 10% of the population in, in your city, in your context, became followers of Jesus Christ? Um, what would it take or what impact would it have as you, as you think through dream 
um, dream in that direction. I mentioned Tony Carnes a little bit earlier, um, who, uh, again, is a social scientist, uh, sociology professor at Columbia University. And uh, he uh, debriefed a, uh, some research that he contracted, t that he enlisted a team to do um, uh, on behalf of uh, our team, the Send New York City team and Redeemer. Uh, Presbyterian Church, and uh, so sat with uh, Tim Keller and Redeemer City to City and several of their staff and some of our, our Metropolitan New York staff um, yesterday to hear a debrief of an update on some research that was done um, documenting the growth of evangelical churches through church planting in Center City, Manhattan. So Manhattan's about a million and a half people, um, and Center City uh, would be a little bit less than that. Um, uh, it's, it's really what you think of when you think of New York City, the skyscrapers for the most part. Um, but evangelical growth we found five years ago had grown from less than 1% to greater than 3% in 20 years. And, um, and, and we're seeing, uh, you know, at another five-year increment, the, the research indicates that that trend is continuing, maybe not as markedly, but 50 churches, 10 churches per year have been planted in the very difficult soil of Center City, Manhattan. Um, evangelical churches uh, and Southern Baptists have had a hand in that. Um, but, uh, but Tony talks about 10% being the disruption factor. That's when you begin to see impact upon culture is when 10% of the population are adhering to something like that. And, um, and so, um, you know, that's a, uh, that, that's a tipping point for movement. Uh, in, in so many ways, and, and, and because so many of the nations are gathered in all of our cities, uh, in, 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 in my city as we look at, at them, um, and, and in, the in the most difficult soil of our city, which would be Manhattan, uh, the influence that's there, that the affluence that is there, uh, the, the multi-ethnicity and uh, the connectedness to all the world, we just see that as, uh, as having such tremendous capacity. I want to live in a world someday where New York City is 10% evangelical. Yeah, I would, I would just add, yeah, we would love to see Montreal there. We're at 0.5% evangelical right now. So 10% would be uh, amazing to, I mean, it would be transformational, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I, we're, we're seeing the beginnings of that uh, happen is we have uh, church plants committing to plant one church per year for the next 20 years. And uh, on the island of Montreal, another 30 churches throughout the, the province of Quebec. And so, so I think, I mean, 10% you know, would be would be amazing. Uh, what would it take? Uh, I mean, a, a miracle, a move of God. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, carnally, it's hard to imagine. I mean, I don't. I, I'm. I don't want to be the one guy up here who can't see it happening in the city. I, I. I pray it will happen, but it just. I mean, it would be even. Even the kind of growth New York's seen in the past few. I feel like that's a. That's a miracle. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, we, we're a city that ha in, in our borders, in, in Washington, D.C. proper, three years ago, there were two Southern Baptist churches, and today there are 10. So I feel like, praise the Lord. Yeah, movement. Yeah, I feel like I'm amazed at the progress. Um, and, and in a city-wide, we've got 36 new churches, and I just feel like that's amazing. I mean, it's wonderful. Southern Baptist, new Southern Baptist churches. Um, and for the most part, those are like healthy, vibrant gospel-loving, gospel-preaching churches that are committed to multiplication. And uh, so that is incredibly exciting, but, but it, you know, I, I think the answer is uh, it'll be miraculous. I mean, uh, it seems like we're seeing, like, the beginnings of something wonderful happening, 
but will it continue on and uh, or will we mess it up or I don't know. <laughs> I think it's something that's important about all cities is that God is bringing the right planters at the right time. Because I remember three years ago when I was in Montreal, I heard over and over again, it's impossible to ch play in a church within 40 people here. And now we've got churches of a thousand now. <laughs> so, so it's just, a, it's amazing to see God transform a city. Through church I've planting. said myself, not just blaming other people, I've said church plants in this city are just not going to grow that fast. You know, it's just not going to happen. We're going to, uh, there's a different normal here and we just have to, you know, so in guys, it never worked for a guy to come from Texas and plant a church and transplant and think all oh, those things are going to work. But uh, I've been proven wrong over and over again. Like I moved from Texas and did great growing really fast. And a guy, you know, a guy, another church grew really, you know, I, I'm just wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. And then other guys who have yeah. planted who don't. Oh, so yeah. Oh, like... there are definitely the stories of the guys who don't. Those have led me to say, oh, this will never happen here. When actually I've totally discounted the fact that God works in churches and he does things that he doesn't have to ask us about. And uh, so I'm I'm really incredibly grateful that he's working and doing stuff. But but it isn't things that I saw on the horizon coming. It's just like wonderful Holy Spirit brought stuff. So it's great. Well, and, and of course, it's going to take prayer. I mean, that's the, the no-brainer there, you know. But uh, this is not going to happen without God's people all over this country praying for Washington, D.C. You know, what impact would 10% population of Washington, D.C., what percent or what, what impact would that have on the rest of our nation? You know, so, you know, and, and as far as, you know, seminary students go and, and others that are in the pipeline that are going to come up, I mean, it's, it's going to take a... A reinvestment of our of our energies and our abilities and our finances to uh, do that it you know it's it's no secret that it 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 takes money to to plant churches it, it's just a reality that's there and uh, of course we've got the genius of the of the cooperative program and uh, we, we can't lose sight of that you know that we've got the ability to um, to join forces together uh, as God's people uh, in America to uh, to impact cities uh, and of course, uh, that's not to discount what God is doing in the in the towns and villages and and uh, you know county county seats and those kind of things. But uh, we've got to reach our cities, and uh, that's that's not going to be done without uh, just a reinvestment of our beings, uh, channel channel our energies toward prayer. You know, uh, making a commitment to be on a church planning team uh, without being the the lead guy, or you know, just just being the the partner along the way, and. Um, I, you know, and then of course it's it's up to God, and I think God's up to something. Anybody have a question they'd like to ask? If you do, we have another another mic. I'll bring that down so we can get your question live. Well, on recording. Um, thinking about the task um is there like a, a percentage of of how many people kind of come in uh try and fail in comparison to successes so basically you know what's what's the what's the survival rate right now that you're seeing over the last i don't know five years Steve's been doing this the longest. You got to answer that one. Uh, yeah, I've got a little. <laughs> I've got a little breadth of perspective. I mean, ten years in in the New York City metro, um, uh, closer to twelve, I guess. But um, so uh, you know, we've learned a lot from doing things the wrong way. 
and we've spent a lot of money doing things the wrong way. Uh, and usually the guys on the ground, I'll, I'll stick up for them, haven't had a whole lot of say in that. Usually it's been micromanaged from somewhere else. Um, and uh, uh, th that, that's okay to say when that administration is gone. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, really in all honesty, we've learned, uh, you know, some hard lessons about how not to do things. And, uh, and that's probably what D.C. and Montreal are going to learn from in some ways, too, is, um, y you know, failures and struggles. And, uh, you know, there aren't any silver bullets. Um, you know, there's some best practices that you learn to leverage. And so, um, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, our success rate has definitely increased. What we saw very early on, even though we were spending a lot of money back in 2003 to 2006, uh, to heavily resource, uh, to cherry pick uh, guys from mega church staff, drop them into the city with their thumb drive strategy, and throw a lot of money at them was uh, our highest rate of failure was amongst those. Uh, our greatest rate of success was amongst um, those who were either bootstrapping, bivocational, or uh, indigenous to the context. Um, and but we did have some we did have a few successes though amongst the others and and we still have successes uh, uh, for for uh, for both uh, you know it's not a silver bullet to be indigenous it's not a silver bullet to be well resourced and well connected um, either but uh, you know to pay the price and to contextualize and to to really make that your home and I would say hey, we still you know I mean we, we we still have failures if I were to put a percentage on it I would say we're eighty percent or better success rate. Um, now, I mean, define success. Uh, y you know, um, they're different. Uh, you know, the parable of the talents, some, some, some planters have greater capacity. Some of them have, uh, you know, a, a, a broader, um, a broader group that they're planting to, and some of them are more niche focused and stuff. And so, uh, but, but yeah, I think we have a pretty high success rate and that's due to a lot of different things. Uh, and some of those factors are just learning from past struggles. I hope that answers your question. Can I add something too? Uh, we're the only uh, sin city where language is an issue. So uh, French is the dominant language. So uh, something I've observed is those who speak French have been very successful. Um, even if they're not planting a church in French, even if they're planting an Anglophone church, just the fact that they can speak the heart language of the people one-on-one uh, -on -one has made a huge difference for us. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, oui. I, so. I've been I I've been a planter in the DC area since oh four oh five, and uh, I have seen lots of guys fail and leave. Matter of fact, the guys I went through like boot camp with, which I think it's funny they call it that. It's nothing like boot camp, by the way, guys. Uh, <laughs> the guys I went through boot camp with. Um, none of them are still here. I mean, virtually none. Like, there's one guy, maybe. I was in 30 guys in there, and there's just one maybe left. And so, feels like nobody, you know, in, in the looking back. Um, and, and 10 years in, 12 years in, I'm the longest tenured, old, you know, oldest guy at 35 who's here. So, so uh, all that to say, it hasn't been good. Um, lots of guys have tried and failed. And uh, or get, or really better than saying fail, that would be saying given up. I mean, they just quit. You know, they just quit too early. Um, three year uh, year three of my work. You know, 
lots of people would have said to give up. I felt like I should have given up. It didn't seem like it was successful, you know, but now at year 10, I can say, okay, there's some traction, you know, but it, it really, uh, so we, what I'm looking for, you know, I always tell guys when my first conversation with them, when they talking about coming to DC, I was, uh, I need a guy that has two characteristics. He's tenacious. He's not going to give up no matter what, he's just not going to give up. Hey, no matter how bad it is, you got 10 people three years from now, you're not giving up. You're continuing on, tenacious, and you just love your Bible. Like, you're going to stick to your Bible because the city is very liberal, and it's going to wash you away if you don't love your Bible. And so those are the two things for me, tenacity and, and just a really just passion for God's Word. Yeah, so. Could I just say, too, I, I would just, just a caveat to the whole success thing since I dropped that word, and I know that's a pretty subjective thing. And, I mean, fruit's a great way to measure success, uh, you know, whether it's fruit of baptisms, uh, fruit of conversions, fruit of uh, gathering uh, people and gathering, fruit of multiplication of leaders. Um, but, you know, one of the things I'm learning, too, is that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Southern, Southern Baptists have been one of the most prolific examples of God moving people to all corners of the world. Um, and, and, and one of the things that, uh, that I think we're learning in that, uh, uh, you know, I've got 20 years in the Northeast and so it's my home, you know, I'm not, you know, I was born in Oklahoma and spent half my life there, but that's not where I'm from. You know, the Northeast is my home and I'm pretty territorial and protective about it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't even say to you guys, y'all come, uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, you know, pray, hold the rope. If God leads you come, but what, you know, we're committed, I think I could speak, I don't know, I, I, I'll toss this out there and you guys can affirm it or whatever, but uh, I think what all of us would say is part of the reason we're here is because we believe that God, uh, God calls people to uproot their lives and to journey with him in other contexts. And part of one of the things I realize is that not everyone is called to, uh, to relocate someplace and implant their lives and stay there for a lifetime. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we really look for and hope to see and hope to foster in church planters who, because, because cities are magnets, they attract people from all over the places. For however long God will have you there, you know, can, can we trust you to make a good investment and to leave something positive? Uh, that's kingdom, a kingdom contribution in your wake. And we've seen that, and that's been one of the measures of success, too. Even as guys have left, that, you know, um, that, that now we're having instances where guys pass the baton and they do it well, and that there's something uh, that's, uh, that, that, that honors the context and that honors the gospel uh, in their wake. So t uh, two things about, about survivability. One, there was a study done uh, several years ago. The number one correlated factor to survivability was realistic expectations. Um, so that's a huge, in different ways, I think you heard, you heard that being expressed and described. Uh, so that means uh, guys, church planners, church planning teams understanding themselves and understanding their context well and being able to navigate, navigate those two things and having realistic expectations about what's going to happen or what's possible, uh, especially early on because the, the other thing, you know, we talk about most of the time we underestimate what we can, um, we overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and we underestimate what we can accomplish in five. And, and that goes to realistic expectations as well. Uh, there was a recent update done on, on survivability um, over the last, I think, four or five years. Uh, it's trending to be about 80% right now uh, with the SENS North America strategy. Um, so you can find that update, nam.net. Uh, you could search, uh, search for it. Um, there was a recent update uh, that was given, which is historically a whole lot better 
than than where we've been. So um, just say that. Yeah, I want to say um, we have this thing in D.C. that we use uh, that I just pounded out on my computer one day when I was really frustrated. It, <laughs> it, uh, it, we call it the um, the abandonment checklist. And so we give it to guys when they come in. Just and it basically says the paragraph at the top says, check all the circumstances under which you would quit. And so it's got mm-hmm. like a hundred things on it. Uh, my wife asked me to quit. My uh, elders in my sending church asked me to quit. My denomination says I'm no good at this. My people in my church asked me to quit. I have no money. I get fired. I, I, whatever, you know. Under what circumstances so you do made you quit? Up? I, yeah, I made yeah, it up it, because I just I, I found out that I, I just want to know up front. You know, like it's fine if you're gonna quit, but uh, but I want to know what your threat. Yeah, I'll send it every. I think we should that use it. For church planning I, I, I want to know what the line is when you're gonna say throw in Enough. the towel because yeah. all the when my. You know, all that, most of that stuff, a lot of that stuff is going to happen to every guy, you know. And so some yeah. guys, the thing is, everybody says the same thing on the front end. Man, I'm in it. This is my city. You know, they all do that. And they all say we're going to reproduce, all that stuff. But when it comes down to it, some of them flake out and some of them don't. And, so, you know, and the guys who really ultimately end up making an impact are the guys who just, they're not the most talented. They're not the most winsome. They're not the best preachers. They're not the best evangelists. They're the guys who just do it and do it and do it and wake up every day and do it again. And so I just want guys like that. <laughs> you know, I'm saying I give me, give me, if I got a, if I got a batch of really competent, well-educated guys or a batch of guys who are just kind of run of the mill or not so smart guys, but really just going to keep doing it and keep doing it. I take those guys every day. You know, and so cool. One more question. Anybody? What we got? Uh, Yeah, so we were talking about uh, homosexuality, and I kind of got the impression that that's a recurring question that continually comes up uh, because it seems like a lot of people, when they ask that question, it's almost they're solely basing their entire judgment on you and your beliefs and everything kind of on that important question to them. If it is so recurring, when you do address that question to people, how do you kind of diffuse it down to keep them from being immediately almost repulsed to what your ideology is? Yeah, I'll say that the the way that the only way I've found to be successful, and many times, no matter how winsome you try to be, you're not successful in that conversation. There's no way to get out of it and be truthful and <laughs> and, and still win somebody's uh, you know want to have a conversation with you. But the the best thing I can do is talk about my own sin and my own depravity and the depravity of the people that I work with and their own their sin, and try to try to take uh, um, those who would like to you know, fight us on the homosexuality issue, like to separate it from other issues, like to put it up on this other shelf, you know, where we have to, we have to aim just at that. But anything I can do to express humility and the fact that I am in need of just as much grace as I'm advocating that they need and talking about sin in a way that includes me as a sinner and, and, and not judgmental way, that's that's the only hope we have for getting out of that conversation in a way that's both truthful and winsome to those who believe it to be a civil rights issue. I'd say uh, we need to do a better job of welcoming them into the church as as visitors, as as you know, discovering what the church could be, and that's what I've seen in in Quebec. 
and throughout Montreal is our church planners do that well. Uh, they define truth, and they're very bold in proclaiming truth, but they welcome in uh, the homosexual community. Um, just say one more thing. My, uh, uh, this year, the church that I am an elder at, uh, uh, we had a lesbian give her life to Christ, and um, and in that process, she's now a, a year in, fully devoted to Jesus. She's her lifestyle's turned around. She's forsaken homosexual lifestyle, but um, but in that first conversation that we had with her about that, she had to choose between Jesus and that lifestyle. And so, you know, we were imploring her to, to follow Christ. You know, he's better. You know, but, but two, we, you know, the, the, the rest of our city, this is a broad category, but the rest of our city has, has not made people make that choice, uh, has not required people to make that choice. And so that's been, that's been part of it, you know, is, is uh, holding, holding the line on that, doing it in a way that's winsome and loving and caring, but still holding the line yeah i think there was one more question in the back let's get that real quick and um just real quick i've heard a couple different um numbers about size of churches 40 couple hundred a thousand um what have you guys seen that's effective when you get to this particular number or this ballpark you're thinking about multiplying um and does that number have any effect on efficiency of sustaining and then for those churches that do multiply, you guys talked about limited funds and resources. If there were a few foundational things you would say to pour your resources into for a new church plan, what would those be? So of each of you real quick, briefly. Any, any numbers? Yeah, I have lots of opinions about this subject. I'd love to talk to you about it afterward. I don't think it's a number. I think, uh, I think if we believe the Great Commission's a call to start new churches, we believe the Great Commission's for every church, no matter what size. So that's what, that's what we believe. That's what I believe in what we teach. So I believe that a church of 15 that started last Sunday should be thinking about church planting, planning, organizing, strategizing, putting a bullet in a gun right away, should be thinking about church planting. Uh, I think it's wonderful when churches plant pregnant. I know a lot of guys are not cool with that. I think churches should be thinking about that right away. I think the mission is the most important thing that we do as a church. And so, yes. So there's, I don't believe there's a number, but I do, I do believe that there's an age that once we get past that age, the likelihood of it ever really happening is so minuscule that it's, it's just, so I want to see churches reproduce in the first three years. Um, even if they do it bad and fail, honestly, I want them to do it and try, even if they do it bad and fail, because um, churches that get started early do it often. My church is 10 years old. We had our 10th anniversary service the week before Easter, and we've planted 14 churches. Many of those churches are larger than our church, and our churches now are planting other churches. And we did it when we were 20 people and had no resources and... You know, we I always tell people church planning is free. You know, it doesn't cost anything to share Jesus with somebody and gather them in your living room. And so we just teach our members that if you find a place where the gospel is needed, and our my job is to equip you, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, equip you to to do that. And so we're just normalizing church planning for the Christian life. Every Christian is supposed to be involved in church planning. Now, go ahead. Yeah, I would agree. And and for us, uh, like you said, it's not it's not depending on our number number or model. Uh, we're not model centric or movement centric. Um, we need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. We just need churches <laughs> in Quebec. We have one church for every hundred fifty thousand people. So uh, just beginning, we're beginning to see multiplication finally after twenty years really of drought. Yeah, not a factor of numbers, factor of health. Um, 
and health at the DNA level. Uh, and so, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're bad reasons. They're, are there sometimes uh, uh, churches, church plants happen or church starts happen uh, because of splits and that kind of thing. And sometimes there's a good result and sometimes not. But, uh, but, but I would say health is more important than numbers. Um, uh, I, I'm a part of a, a church that's uh, 34 years old and has planted, I don't know, uh, around 40 churches. Their commitment was to plant a uh, church every year of their existence. And that meant that they started planting before they had facilities, uh, you know, up until this year when they're planting two churches. Um, uh, and, 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 they're, and they're carrying a, a huge, massive mortgage. And so uh, always giving away people, always giving away leaders, not uh, uh, not their sickly sheep leaning against the fence kind of thing. But, um, uh, you know, it's just been a commitment at, at a DNA level that that's, that's uh, uh, to be true to the mission, um, uh, like Clint said, and a factor of health, not size. Yeah, let me say something else there. And there's a principle I think that is true in all of our cities too is that the more you sacrifice, the more God will bless the, the strategy or the mission, the church plan. Yeah, let me add on that. <laughs> it's not just the more you sacrifice, the more God will bless. It actually creates a vacuum effect when you, when you send out great leaders, they're replaced by great leaders. And you can't pull somebody up, without, up and place them out without pulling somebody up in behind them, especially in a transient area where there's constantly blood flowing through their heart. I mean, there's new people everywhere. And Spurgeon says, you know, to keep all the blood in the heart is to bring about congestion. And I believe it's true in the church too. Good. Uh, let me uh, let me end in prayer, and I uh, encourage you to pray. We we ask for movement. Uh, we asked a question about movement. Let's pray that God would move um, in these cities. And uh, Father, uh, thank you for this time, this conversation. Uh, thank you for uh, the lives of these men and how they've invested um, their lives uh, in your kingdom. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, protect them and use them. Uh, to continue to build your kingdom. God, we do pray for movement. We pray for the movement of your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit on these men, their lives, their families, as well as those they work with on these cities. Uh, God, because we know that your spirit's work is to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment and draw them to Jesus. Uh, So God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit We pray that you would raise up laborers to send into your harvest field there uh, from within and from without. Uh, God, we pray uh, that you would move, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.